welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about the Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in Placentia, California at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Glad you're here. Welcome. Good morning. Where's the Dallas? Yeah, but where's the pink one? No pink one today? Okay. All right, sorry. Would you see the Dallas Cowboy update? Good morning, everybody. We're thrilled you're here. Welcome to Vox. My name is Mike. What's your name? Okay. Got them all. Steel trap. Uh, we're really glad you're here. A couple of things. Number one, voxoc.com is where you find out more about us if this is your first time with us. We also have something called a new to Vox dinner uh, coming up on November 9th, uh, it, which is at our place. And uh, you're more than welcome to join us there. Um, We usually start off uh, with a a bit of teaching. And so um, we give you guys the opportunity to ask questions um, and text in questions while you're listening to the songs or to the the teaching. And we take some time to respond. Last week, there were such good questions and so many. um, We're going to try to narrow the number that we try to tackle uh, and if we don't get to yours, I'm so sorry. It's not because it wasn't a great question. We're trying to pick the ones that maybe have the most relevance to the most number of people. So let's fire up some questions. That's the number you text questions to. Feel free to do this. So on my drive to work today, I saw two window stickers. One said, it's okay not to believe. The other said, I don't have to be threatened to go to hell to be moral. These stickers led me to believe they were Satan worshipers. Now, I'm not sure, unless there was something else, I'm not sure that jump is totally warranted in in the sense of these are just very popular atheist slogans. Um, These are atheist campaigns, and so perhaps they're not Satan worshipers, perhaps they're just atheists who make fun of Jesus worshipers. However it is, the question becomes, this group's slogan, it is our slogan, safe to belong, We put it on our t-shirt, so that means it's important. Does that include people like this? What do you guys think? Especially people like that, right? One of the things that we, we are convinced of is that in the Bible, people, which comes first? I'll ask you, which comes first for the vast majority of people that Jesus comes into contact with? Believing or belonging, which comes first? Belonging. Jesus is always opening his table uh, to eat with people who are from the most scandalous and ridiculous backgrounds. Jesus is always, always, always pursuing the most notorious sinners in the region. And he's very often extending belonging to people before they even understand who he is, right? The disciples. Were the disciples chosen because they believed he was the Messiah or as they walked with Jesus, they came to the conviction he was Messiah, right? It's the second one. And so, so we firmly believe that belonging um, very often leads to believing and not the reverse. If you, just, if you just say, this is the group of people who all believe the same way, then we'll each have a church of one. And, uh, and so for us, we just think we, we want to re-embody that hospitality that says, listen, we think there's power in gathering together 
around common songs, which are prayers that are sung, around uh, the, the Lord's table, around the scriptures, even if you don't buy them all, uh, being with people that you didn't choose to be with, but rather come as kind of a representative of what North Orange County looks and feels like. We just think there's power in that. And who knows what that will do over the course of weeks and months and years. So, so we're not going to prejudge who's worthy to come or not. We just think, we just think that the, the invitation's open for everybody. So, excellent. Question number two. When you say, I'm the biggest sinner in the room, do you think that gives one permission to sin more? If I'm already a big sinner, what does it matter if I do a little more? All right, when I say I'm the biggest sinner in the room, I mean physically. That I feel like body mass index, I'm the biggest sinner in the room. That's what I mean. So, no, no. So, great question. Um, so, so, one of the, so, I say this all the time because I'm, I'm trying to embody one of the most neglected teachings of Jesus, and that is this. When you're looking at the sin in another... You are to regard their sin as a speck of dust compared to your sin, which you are to regard as a wooden plank. That doesn't mean we can't help each other along the way and call out stuff in each other, but it simply means that rather than come at anybody else from a position of moral superiority, I'm to come at other people with a deep awareness of my own brokenness. I consider their sin a speck of dust and my sin a two by four. So when I say that, that's what I'm doing. Now, if, if my saying that is going to cause you to sin more, may I gently suggest you are already looking for a reason. All right? And my, my saying that <laughs> has little to do with that. Your heart was already primed that direction. So, next. It seems very clear. Now, this we talked last uh, week about one word in John 3.16, the word whoever. So this is from that teaching. It seems very clear that whoever encompasses everybody, all caps. So let's say it loudly. Encompasses everybody. Every single person, no matter their story or social status. Yet, we see Jesus' followers changing the definition of whoever. Is that true? Absolutely. Why do they do this? I do not understand. Um, well, if you figure that out, let us know. Because uh, any Jesus follower here is guilty of that. That's part of our hypocrisy. Is that we get loved into the Jesus movement. And then the very natural temptation. And it's been the temptation of the people of God from the inception of the nation of Israel. Through thousands of years to us to draw the circle of acceptance smaller than what God does. And so, for us, there is a constant vigilance, because we get questions all the time. Well, what's your view on this, these kind of people, and what's your view on these kind of people, and how do you, how do you extend love to these kind of people? And, and, and all of those represent different takes on the whoever's. The hardest thing in the world is to keep that definition as broad as Jesus did. Namely, that yes, we love the religious people. We love the self-righteous people. They're, they're welcome, of course. But Jesus had this particular tenderness to the most notorious, marginalized, outcast kind of folks. So, why do we do this? Well, it's the, it's the nature of human fallenness. To restrict the blessings to people just like me. Israel did it. The early church did it. And we do it. 
And that's why we have to continually come back to the beauty and majesty of Jesus because what Christianity does is very often cause us to lose sight of that, correct? Because what what have we done with Christianity? Well, 32,000 denominations later, right? So you got to wade through a bit to keep the real Jesus in view. Lastly, how can we best pray for Vox leaders? Anything specific? Thank you for asking that. We have tons of Vox leaders. So I hope you just don't mean me or a couple of uh, like uber important individuals. Um, I think wisdom is the big one. We, uh, we're, uh, and, and this isn't, we just don't know what we're doing. I just, I want you to know that very clearly. One of the questions we get at New to Vox dinners is, hey, so what's the plan? I don't know. I mean, we'll plan out Sunday and see what happens, right? I mean, we, we, we've got some inklings, um, but the last thing we want to do is a plan. Um, we're very committed to not doing a plan. And, uh, and, and so uh, there aren't a lot of, uh, at least in my experience, in my awareness, of uh, communities trying to pull off some of the stuff. And so we're just kind of wandering around in the dark going, well, let's, I think this feels okay. Um, let's test this or whatever. So if you would pray for wisdom, that would be a wonderful thing. Now, this morning, we're going to continue on. John 3.16, go ahead and put up the next word. Text questions to that number as we go through this, because this one's a little tricky. There are some times we'll teach, and it's aimed at the heart, right? Inspiration, motivations, like, yeah. Some teachings are aimed at the head to try to get us to understand something, this is more of a heady thing. And so I, I, I suspect there will be some juicy questions buried in the middle of, of, of this teaching. For God so loved. So we're going phrase by phrase through this verse. So we've looked at, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, whoever, and then the word believes, in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now the word believes, believe it or not, is one of the most misunderstood concepts by American Christians in this entire verse. Believing in, in, in American Christianity, or in some of it, constitutes intellectual arrangement of facts. And, and I want to beat up on that view just a little bit. So, next slide. We've got some slide work to do, and then we'll get to the scriptures. What, is, what does it mean to believe or to have faith? Okay? This gets muddy because there are three different, three different ways I can talk about believing. So I can, I can talk about what I say I believe, or I can talk about what I think I believe, but really the thing we're after is what my actions show I believe. So, so, like, ethicists will distinguish between what a person says and what a person thinks and what a person does. Which of those relays what somebody really believes? Which of those three? What they say, what they think, or what they do? Actions speak louder than... I, girlfriend, he says he loves you. He cheats on you. He, he is abusive towards you. He embarrasses you in public. Does he love you? No. Doesn't matter if he thinks he does. Doesn't matter if he says he does. 
He doesn't, right? So there's this, there's this big section in the book of James that talks about, great, I'm so thrilled you have all the right beliefs, but faith without action is dead. So in the scriptures, it doesn't matter what you say, and it doesn't matter what you think. What really matters is what you do. So I want to show you this from the Bible. Next slide. So Jesus will say things like this. Not everyone who says to me what? Lord, Lord. So not everyone who calls Jesus Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who what? Does the will of my Father. Next slide. Many will say to me on that day, the last day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and in your name perform many miracles? And I will say to them, depart from me, I never what? I never knew you. So there's a category of people that profess rightly and that Jesus says he doesn't know them. Next. Or in Luke, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? <laughs> it's just like, you know, the whole love your enemies thing. How, how can you actually say, I'm Lord, and not do that? Next. What I think. Now, this gets really juicy. All right, look at me. So just saying you believe something isn't really believing it, correct? And just having the right information isn't believing. Okay? Now this gets really tricky. Guess who has the best theology in the four Gospels? The, the Satanists, yes. The demons. Not, not the disciples, not the church leaders, not even Jesus' family. They're all confused about who Jesus is. There is one group without fail who knew exactly who Jesus was. So here's some examples of that. Just then a man, nope, go backwards. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. And then what's it say? The Holy One of God. A pretty exalted title, correct? Next slide. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak. Now these are all separate instances. He would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Another example, whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Next slide. When he saw Jesus from a distance, this is a different individual, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now these are, I mean, these are massively exalted titles, correct? If there was a multiple choice test, about who Jesus of Nazareth is, they'd ace it. Correct? They'd ace it way better than a lot of the disciples that were following Jesus would have aced it. So, what you say, of course, matters. And what you think, of course, matters. The problem with American Christianity, at least one of them, at least in the forms I've experienced, is that very often we restrict what we mean by believing to just those two things. Pray a prayer, and then make sure your doctrine lines up. 
Here's the right belief about Genesis, and here's the right belief about spiritual gifts, and here's the right belief about evolution, and here's the right belief about the Trinity, here's the right belief about the Bible, and here's the right belief about Jesus of Nazareth. Now, do I think right beliefs matter? Oh, they matter hugely. That's why we sit under the authority of the Scriptures every week. They matter. We want to be formed and shaped by them. But they only matter biblically if you trust them. So what does it mean to have faith in the Bible? Next slide. Believing is not a profession of faith. It's not having great theology. And it's not psychological certainty. Remember, belief and doubt in the Bible are not opposites. Doubting is part of the journey of faith. What is believing? Well, here, here are all the Greek equivalents. All right? To be persuaded, to be won over, to have confidence in, to have faith in, to trust, to have reliance upon. They're all action words. So how do you know if somebody has faith? You watch what they do. I can believe that God is my provider, but if I'm always worried about money, and I overwork, and I, I mean, I'm just, it's, you can totally see me being in bondage by this. Do I really believe God's provider? No. You can say you believe God is good, but then when something bad happens, right, we're just like, well, God, what are you doing? And, and it and it's the, becomes the blame game for either us or him. Do we really believe God is good? I mean, uh, we've, we've rewarded in American Christianity people giving the right answers. And that is as far as we invite them to go. Biblical faith looks much differently than just shouting, yep, you're the son of God. Have I ever ever done my DMV example here? I've never done the DMV thing? Okay, I'm going to do it right now. Moving out from the great state of Ohio at 27, 26. So this is about three years ago. (laughs) I, I have to get a driver's license, Right? And how do you get a driver's license? You go to the DMV. In, the Ohio, in, in Ohio, the DMV isn't, doesn't stand for demonic motor vehicle place. It, it's, in Ohio, the DMV is like, it's just a place. You make an appointment, you show up, people are actually semi-friendly. So it said the Costa Mesa DMV opens at 8. I didn't realize you had to get there at 5.30. So I show up at 8. Two and a half hours to just talk to somebody. And I say, hey, I've got, to, I've got to switch my license over. And they're like, great. You have to take a written test. I'm like, no driving test? No, no driving test. You have to take a written test. Okay, over what? Here's a book. Fantastic. I'm gonna, I'm, I am going to take a written test over the book. Where's the line for the book? Right there. Two and a half hours more for, uh, for the book to take the written test. So I stand in line, and what do I do? I memorize the book. Correct. I get to, the, te- I get to the, the examination place, I do the test, pass with flying colors. They don't, so, so I know all the driving theory, how many feet you, know, you should leave between the car in front of you and you, and when a bike lane ends, and when you can get over, and blah, 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 blah. They never tested me on how I actually drove, right? As long as I memorized their book, I was fine. This is the way Christianity is presented. Just know the book. It doesn't matter how you live, just know the book, and you're fine. That's not how Jesus presents faith. 
We are saved utterly and forever as an act of grace. There is no work that gets us deserving of God's gift to us. Not one. But the kind of faith that is responsive to God's grace grace, is the kind of faith that shows itself. It's not just an empty profession or rote repetition of a prayer. Or it's not just the study of a theology textbook to say, yes, I mentally affirm all of these various theological propositions about God Almighty. So let's look at what faith looks like. Luke chapter 5, let's go. Now, these three stories, if you've been with us over the summer, you've heard these three stories already. And and I was was sitting there going, you know, I don't want to do repetition, but Jesus repeated, so there you go. So these are stories you've already heard. And if you're sitting there thinking, ah, man, I hate, you know, I hate that he always does these stories. Until you're living them, I don't want to hear about it. All right? Until you've got these. I've often thought, I think I'm going to preach the same thing for like six weeks in a row. The exact same teaching. Until people start interrupting it, saying, okay, we got it. And here, let me tell you what happened this week. Because I need that. Right? Because I forget what I say by, you know. Two o'clock. Now, we want to look at what faith looks like. These are very familiar stories. We've already covered them in the Vox context, but here we go. Luke chapter 5. You remember this guy, verse 17. If you don't have a Bible or you're new to the Scriptures, everything will be up on the screens. And, um, and these are three stories that all end the same way. One day Jesus was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem, so they'd come from a far, they'd come from a long way away. The power of the Lord was there with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to land before Jesus. Now we've talked about first century houses very often. Were two rooms, and they weren't big. There, there was a front room and then a step-down back room. Sometimes you'd have a ladder on the outside of the house to get up to the roof. You would lay things out to dry on the roof or whatever. Sometimes if it were super hot, you'd be up there or you'd sleep up there. So there was a way to get up from the outside. So the text says, these men who were carrying a paralyzed man, they tried to lay him before Jesus, but when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. In other words, they unroofed this place. They dug a big enough area so that the man could be lowered down in front of Jesus. Now, how epic is this? Like, this, is, this was the desperation to get around Jesus, that it was so full These guys were like, we're not going to wait. We're not going to ambush Jesus as he leaves. We're going to interrupt the meeting. And we're going to dig a hole in the roof. And you can imagine the tile and the the dirt coming down and the owner of the house freaking out. And and the paralyzed guy, if the paralyzed guy could talk, shouting, you know, hurry. Um, I mean, whatever it is. So they lower the guy down. It's beautiful. And then notice what Jesus says. This, This little sentence here is so big. Verse 20. When Jesus what? Now, faith is something you see. When he saw their faith, did he, did he give them a theological quiz? No. 
Did he ask him for a profession of faith? No. He saw their faith. How did he see their faith? They unroofed a guy's roof and lowered their friend in front of him. Notice he didn't see the paralyzed man's faith. He saw the friends of the paralyzed man's faith. That's interesting. When he saw their faith, Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Of course, and we've talked about this, Pharisees and the teachers of the law said, who is this that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, why are you guys thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to heal the man so that he walks? I want you to know that I have the authority on earth to forgive sin. So he said to the paralyzed man, stand up and walk. Only God can forgive sins. There were lots of healers in Jesus' day. But Jesus says, just so we're clear that you know I have authority to forgive, I'm going to heal the man. Immediately, the man stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. So what was it that Jesus saw? Did Jesus reward them because they dug a hole in a roof? No. He saw the faith that sat behind it, correct? Paul is so clear. We are saved by grace through faith. So they didn't earn their way. It's not like, hey, everybody, dig a hole through a roof, and you're automatically part of the Jesus movement. It was, they, were these people won over? Were they persuaded? Did they have reliance upon and confidence in this Jesus? Absolutely they were. How do you know? They dug a hole in a roof. And Jesus saw their faith. Luke chapter 7. This dinner party. I can never get enough of this dinner party. This sinful woman interrupts. But the same thing happens. Verse uh, 36, Luke chapter 7. We've talked about this one a bunch. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Right, This would be outside in a courtyard. Two-foot table. You'd actually be laying on like pillows. that you, you weren't in chairs. You were reclining. And it would be all men. And it's kind of the riffraff would gather around the outside of the courtyard just to hear, maybe hope for some food. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life, and remember, that's, not, that's, that's a very gentle way of saying she was notoriously sinful. This, was, this wasn't somebody who'd screwed up a couple of times. This was somebody who everybody knew was like that person, like that woman. like ew. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Some think she was engaged in prostitution, and this was the tool of her trade that, she, that was the only thing that was worth anything. So she brought that. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, if you remember, I mean, it doesn't get any more scandalous than this. A sinful woman shows up, interrupts the dinner party, approaches the inner part of the courtyard, which is violation number one. She then makes a scene by beginning to weep over Jesus' feet, and her tears wet his feet. So how many tears does it take 
to get someone's foot wet, like a few. And then she lowers her hair down. Now, in that, in that culture, that was a sign of immorality. You'd never do that in public, let your hair down in public. And then she touches the man. Then she touches Jesus, which even today in some Orthodox circles, you, men and women never touch, even if they're married, let alone a sinful woman to a rabbi. I mean, she could not have been more scandalous. And the fact that Jesus lets it happen is a scandal to the host. So the host thinks to himself, I love this, the host tries to, to excuse Jesus. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. In other words, Jesus can't be a prophet because he would never allow this to happen. It doesn't even occur to him that Jesus is a prophet and still allows it to happen. Jesus tells this beautiful parable we don't have time to look at. Verse 44, he turned to the woman and he said to the Pharisee host, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say, hey, only God can forgive sins. Who's this guy? Jesus said to her, what? What? What saved her? The fact that she was crying? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So it's not like all you got to do is work up some tears and Jesus see. See, we, we want to turn this whole conversation into some sort of formula. Like, what's the contract? How do I know if I'm really, like, and, and, and we view it in contractual terms. Jesus presents an entirely different picture. Is this woman won over? Is she persuaded? Does she have confidence in? Is she relying upon this Jesus? Well, of course she is. How do we know? Well, she scandalizes a dinner party, a very religious, proper dinner party. And Jesus saw her faith. It wasn't her action that saved her, but her action revealed the faith that was already there. Make sense? Is this making sense so far? Look at me. Okay, I'm, I'm seeing maybe 10% of you agreeing with me, which is more than normal. i got to be honest right there. Now, one last one. It makes the same point. Luke 18. Luke 18. Luke 18. Yep, man by the roadside begging. These are three of my favorite stories. But they all end the same way with Jesus saying, your faith has saved you. So what's faith look like? So in John 3.16, when it says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Well, we hear the word believes, and as American Christians, we automatically pack it with praying the prayer and believing the right stuff. So our churches are full of people who have the right answers but are still mean. They have the right answers, but they've never experienced transformation. They have the right answers, but they have no evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. They have the right answers, but they have not grown in any way, shape, or form into Jesus' likeness. 
But because they have the right answers, they're convinced they're in. And, and who are we to judge, inness or outness? I mean, Jesus is very clear that the one constant on the last day is that we'll be surprised. But there's a sense in which, what does it mean to believe in the John 3.16 sense? Well, it means to be won over. It, mean, it means to be persuaded. It means, it means that if I say, like, I believe these chairs are sturdy enough to hold someone of my muscularity, that I'd be willing to sit in one, correct? It means that, that actions and words begin to line up. Now, please hear this. This is not, I'm not saying it in any way, shape, or form, that um, if those of us who are still in process have not yet come to the place where we'd unroof a roof or interrupt a dinner, dinner party, that somehow we're less loved or less accepted or whatever, I'm not saying that. Because we are in process. Jesus comes across a man who says to Jesus, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus heals the man's kid. So Jesus will meet us wherever we turn out to be. I just want to remove the temptation to think that following Jesus is rearranging our mental furniture. That mental furniture means nothing unless it's trusted. Yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Okay. Evidently, 80% of Americans believe that too. So what? Are those disciples? Oh. So Jesus isn't looking for people who are just looking for a punch list. Jesus isn't looking for people who, who want to get life from the rightness of their believing. Jesus is looking for people who are won over, who are persuaded, who trust him and rely upon him. And who are willing to grow into that process. Make sense? So one last one. I don't even need to do it. I mean, you got the point, but I'm going to do it anyway because I have the spiritual gift of overmaking points. <laughs> I do. It's my wife. We'll be in an argument. She'll be like, how many different ways are you going to tell me you disagree? You've just used like four. I just want to make sure you get it, that you're wrong on this, baby. You know, if I ever do a marriage seminar, it's going to be completely from the here's what not to do <laughs> scenario. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. The man called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and said, be quiet. <laughs> Sorry, beggars. We're, we're, we're doing something religious here. Don't get in the way. And then I love this little line. But he shouted all the more. He shouted all the more. Right? Again, the kind of people that drew Jesus were the kind of people who were not willing to allow the social conventions to dictate their response to him. I just love that. Jesus stopped, ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? How great is that? How would you answer that? Seriously, if Jesus looks at you right now and says, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that? I have some thoughts. The man said, I want to see. Oh, receive your sight, Jesus said. You're what? 
Your faith has healed you. So if we just go around shouting, does that mean we're part of the Jesus movement? No. If that were true, I'd have been in a long time ago. But it was the faith that led them to dig a hole in the roof. It was the faith that led her to interrupt a party. It was the faith that led him to shout all the more. Faith is something you see. So what does it mean to respond to the gracious initiative of Jesus? What well, it means to say yes. But that yes is more like a wedding ceremony than it is entering into a contract. How easy, married folks, how easy is it to say I do? How easy is it to say those words? Ready? Let's say them. I do. Do you? Do you? Yes, I do. Easy. Do those two words then change everything? Do they change everything? Oh, they do. Oh, they do. Right? See, the words are the beginning of the journey, not the end. And very often we present the words, just pray this prayer, as the end of the journey and not the beginning. And what Jesus is looking for are folks. See, some of, some of you are here with the tiniest, tiniest, slightest, smallest bit of faith. And Jesus receives you and blesses you. Because it's real. It's authentic. Some of us are here, and we're convinced our faith is much bigger than it is. And those are the people we want to talk to. That's me. I know all the right stuff, but when it comes down to it, do I trust it? And that's the struggle. So the goal today was just to wake us up a bit, because I want to be the kind of person who would dig a hole in a roof. I want to be the kind of person that would interrupt a dinner party. I want to be the kind of person where social approval won't dictate the outworking of my desperation just to be near him, you know? And I'm not there yet. We aren't there yet. It's all right. But that's what faith looks like. So let me pray. I'm sure there's some great questions that are going to come out of this. So I'm excited to talk next week to see what I missed and what questions came up. But let me pray, and then we're going to sing. Our friend Joy is back. And, uh, and so Joy's going to lead us in a couple of songs. Now, here's the reason we sing, all right? We have better things to do on a Sunday morning. If all this is, is just another consumer sort of preference thing, the reason Jesus' people sing is because there's something about the corporate solidarity and unity that comes from those of us who are on the Jesus path declaring or praying or meditating on some of these words. And so we invite you, if, if you're in process and you're like, ah, I'm good, great, be good. We're totally good. Sit, doesn't matter. For those of you that are Jesus people, though, don't ever let social awareness or dynamics dictate your response. So stand, kneel, raise arms, doesn't matter. Um... We do that at sporting events. We think we can do that here as well. And I did it last night. I did it last night as an Indians fan. I did it. I did it. I was standing and kneeling and weeping and celebrating. So, so Lord Jesus, thank you that your movement is so expansive. Thank you that you meet us where we're at. And would you keep us, God, uh, from settling for anything less than the fullness of what a relationship with you looks and feels like. Would you wake us up? And would you allow us to grasp how, 
high and wide and deep and broad is your love for us. And that you will receive any faith that drives us to you. So God, um, be with us. We know you're here, of course, but be with us in this space so that we know that you're here. And we ask that you would receive our singing as, a, as an offering to you. In the name of this Jesus, amen. Were you starting the next one? Let's go. What was the next one? Okay, we'll do that in about 10 minutes. All right, so just stay ready. It's a tight ship, brothers and sisters. It's a tight ship. So let me introduce you to my friend Alex. So Alex and I began, uh, this week, we began training for a Spartan race at the end of January. And, uh, yep, and so I'm helping him out. Um, he uh, clearly needs it. He, we did three workouts. I know. We did three workouts this week, and I spent about 12 hours on the couch yesterday. So it was, it was awesome. Uh, but Alex has become a dear friend, and uh, we have a huge value for um, sharing the, the kind of realness of what following Jesus has been like for us. And so, bro, take it away. Not a tattoo. This is not a tattoo, all right? These are bullet that your, points. That's your story? Yeah, that's my story. When you have all a that, forearm that big, forearm. you have room. Some of us, you know, we just put like a couple words. Yeah. So if you want to use my belly, yeah, you can no, write whole paragraphs. Maybe for a Spartan race. <laughs> um, so I just want to say really quick, no one in here is average. Okay? You all have a plan. God has a plan for you. Something is just telling me to tell you that. So really take that. Okay, hold on, hold on. What's going on? Keep it up there. Keep it All up right, there. look, I'm going to get really loud. Out. You're swinging out. I'm going to get really loud. Right, my name is Alex. I'm 39 years old, and I'm struggling with trust, anxiety, and just judgment. I'm always thinking people are just judging me. Mm. So I got a few minutes to talk about my story, and I hope that someone out there just, it, it mm. will grab you. Mm -hmm. Um. You're good, dude. You're good. <clears throat> All right. So since I was born, from when I could remember, everyone always said, you will amount to nothing. Mm. They always said, you will end up in jail. You'll be bad in school. You'll get in fights. I was, I was a little kid, and that was embedded in my head. Mm. From then until uh, fourth grade, just by jumping on my bed, my mom was so frustrated of just who people thought I was and how I acted as a young kid. She put me on the countertop and turned the stove on and burnt my left foot. That's still with me today at 39 years old. Mm -hmm. That's just a glimpse of what I went through. Two years later, my dad went to the Philippines and cheated on my mom. And he was just so dumb just for doing that. And he came home and he told my mom, I cheated on you. And he, even worse, he bought a video. It's dumb, right? So a few years later, my mom goes out. And I just remember waking up coming, as a little kid coming downstairs. Dad, what's going on? My, mom, my dad's walking pacing. I don't know where your mom's at. That early morning, my mom came home. Sure enough, they, are, they still start arguing. My mom had cheated on my dad. 
And sure enough, what happens? Divorce. Typical, right? Typical. Divorced family, raised, boom, bouncing from house to apartment, from place to place. So I ended up in Myrna Valley. Y'all familiar with Myrna Valley? There's a mall there. Yep, there's a mall. And a lot of gangs, a lot of drugs, mm. a lot of bad things out there. That's where I grew up, in a broken family, mm. going to school out there. Sure enough, I didn't have a family anymore. So we all know, join a gang, being a family. So there, I joined a gang at a very young age. Got into graffiti. I was very, very, very active in the gang. Eventually, we all know, things lead things. So I actually got caught up into meth. I was a meth head. I was 130 pounds. I, I had no idea. It was so crazy that I was so consumed with meth that my sister raised me, I raised my sister, and my brother raised me, and I raised my brother. My mom was always working. She was a single mom. <sighs> Remember, my gang is my family, right? So as I was high on meth, one of my homies molested my sister when she was sleeping. Because one of my boys said, he was my boy. I got your back. All right. All right. Be, being involved in a gang. You're doing great, dude. Met my whole high school life. My best friend at the time, one of my other best friends, one of my homies, blamed all of the gang activity on me. I took the blame for it. I had no involvement in that as far as he blamed stealing on, he blamed it, stealing from his parents, stealing from his girlfriend's parents. It all went on me. So my family did not back me up. So junior, senior year, let me fast forward this real quick. Junior, senior year, my cousins put me in this camp at the Red Cross, the Leadership Development Center for at-risk youth. I went as a camper because I was at risk, right? So that took so much of an impact on me of what I learned there, of how much I had in me to be a leader. I eventually went back and went back, and I became a staff in training and a staff, and I eventually was a mentor for these at-risk youth. Based on my experiences, let me just look at my bullet points. <laughs> so once I graduated high school, I knew I couldn't get out of the gang, so I had to leave. So I took $350 to Washington State for one year. And I knew I was going to struggle because I really only had one family member out there. So I went out there, and I worked, and I still struggled trying to just get off the drugs. And the way I did that was through physical fitness, was I would run every day. And if not, I would party every now and then. But the man who brought me to God was a man named Daryl. He was in a wheelchair, handicapped bound. I would come home to my apartment. He was wheel across over. What's up, brother? How you doing? He just slowly, slowly just talking to me, talking to me, preaching me about the word. And eventually, I went to church with him. I went to church with him. I would go to church with him on Sundays. I would go to church with him on Wednesdays. He invited me to his home. He would talk to me about the Lord. And from there, I was born again in Washington State. From that point on, my life changed dramatically. 
I went from an ex-gang member to a born-again Christian. And I knew I had to leave. It was my time to go. But I was scared because I knew if I came back to Orange County that the same people who were going to be here were the same influences. So right when I came back, I tatted myself right here saying, Soldier of God. So that way, every morning I wake up, I look in the mirror, it reminds me of who I am. Daryl wasn't with me, but he was with me in my heart. So I came back here. <sighs> I'm tired just watching you. Yeah, I'm sorry. How bad is our workout going to be tomorrow? Really bad. Yeah, I really know. bad. I know. I know. Okay. So I'm back here now. I get a job. I got married in 2003 to my beautiful wife, Max. Yep. I now have four, four children. I have three boys and one girl. Beautiful, beautiful family. But I struggle constantly of just the trust. I struggle with just anxiety and just the ability to just not be judged. Mm-hmm. And throughout my marriage, I'm telling my wife, I'm like, babe, what is my calling? I thought my calling, well, I'm supposed to be a cop because I can mentor now to these kids. So I have something to, I'm, I'm relatable. I can be a cop. I'm going to be a cop. I went through the process. I got disqualified through um, the background investigations. All right, dang, what is it, Lord, am I supposed to be? Come on, tell me, tell me. I've been like, I'm, I'm impatient. I want to know. I want to know. So in the meantime, I've been a restaurant manager, just working restaurants. And on the side for Rock Harbor at one point, I actually was an at-risk youth mentor for the Coast Mesa School District. And so asking that question for so long, someone was, something revealed to me. This position opened up. Restaurant manager slash at-risk youth mentor. Wow. God, is this, you seriously just put that in front of me? And all the time, my wife was telling me, just be patient, babe. Be patient, babe. It's going to come to you. You just got to stop, look, and listen. And I did. I did. And sure enough, six years later, that's what I do today. I mentor at-risk youth. I also work in a restaurant and I'm able to tell that story of what we do to each and every one of you. We work with foster youth, kids in gangs, kids struggling from drugs. So my calling was revealed to me at the age of 35, and I'm 39. So all of you, that's what I'm saying, you, all, you guys aren't average. There's a calling for each and every, each and every one of you out there. That's my story. <laughs> <laughs> Proud of you, dude. Thanks, man. Can you do that again? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, is there room for Satanists? Oh yeah. The room for people that put crazy stickers on the cars, yeah. People that interrupt dinner parties, you bet. People that come from gangs, oh absolutely. People that come from the churches, yeah, we'll we'll support them too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this, at this point, we respond to all that we've heard, and we respond a bunch of different ways. We, we don't believe uh, this is a passive thing. Um, we, uh, we take communion together, the great leveler of taking the bread and the cup as fellow strugglers together, the acknowledgement of the lordship and sacrifice of Jesus for us, for us individually. We also, um, we also have folks that will be around the communion stations that are just available to pray. If you're in the midst of something pretty heavy, we'd be honored to pray for you 
And that, I know that takes a great deal of courage to ask for help, but that is what we want to do together. We also have participation boxes. If financial worship is something that you need to do, whether in obedience to God or just to war against the consumerism in our hearts, um, you can do that there. And then we're going to sing some more. And we sing these prayers together to refresh our imaginations and allow us to respond. So let me pray, and we'll dive in together. God, thank you for Alex. Thank you, <laughs> thank you that you never give up on us. Thank you that you're relentless in your pursuit of us. Thank you, God, that, um, that those of us here today who are very much in touch with our brokenness can be reminded afresh of your great love, your great mercy, your great holiness, and invited not just to be real, but to be transformed. And so we come to the table hungry and thirsty, not just for food and drink, but for something bigger than us, for, for the reminder of who we are and what you've done. So we ask that you would receive this time and that you would be present in it. In the name of Jesus. Do I need to pray longer? Do I need to pray longer? I looked over at Joy. She's trying to get her earpiece in. I'm like, you're good? You mean put the earpiece in? All right, why don't we? So, Lord, we just thank you <laughs> for the weather today and just these beautiful people and bless this food to our bodies, which I don't even know what that means. Yeah, we good? Okay, amen. you as you go. Uh, VoxOC.com is our website if you want to find out more or sign up for a new to Vox dinner. Um, care at VoxOC.com if there's anything we can help with. Prayer at VoxOC.com. Is there anything we can pray for? Feedback at VoxOC.com if you have any thoughts for us. Um, hair at VoxOC.com if you have any to donate. Uh, kidding, that last one isn't. I'm looking at you, my man. I'm looking at you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace in these days. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joy, for being with us today. Sure. Sure. Say hello to somebody on your way out. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. Participate in the Vox community at voxoc.com slash participate.